Let's turn our Bibles to James 5. We'll be looking at the last two verses of James 5. It's on page 1202 in your pew Bibles. James 5, verse 19 and 20, and this is the very Word of God. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. Let us pray and ask for God to bless his word unto our hearts. Lord our God, as we hear your word, may we hear you. May you speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Would you convict us? Would you prepare us to be used as your servants? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Save that. My brothers, it begins, my brothers, that would be us, he's speaking to the church. James is a very practical letter, he writes very clearly, and this is not to the world. This passage is for us, it is written to Christians. This is not to be applied to the world, as we often do with Scriptures, and avoid applying it to ourselves. This is very clearly applied to us when he says, my brothers and sisters, this is for the church. If anyone among you, he says, should wander, there is a good reason that Jesus calls us sheep, because sheep wander. And so do we. We're prone to wander, as the hymn goes. We're a people who wander. We are a church that wanders. Leaders of churches wander. James is not talking about how the world wanders. He's talking about how the church wanders. Church of Jesus Christ, if one of us should wander, and evidently we might, from the truth. That's what this is about, wandering from the truth. He's not talking about how we wander when we drive, how we stay on the road. He's talking about the truth. He's talking about wandering away from the truth. It is the truth that keeps us from wandering. The truth is like the road, the path, the lines on the road that keep us on the road to keep us from wandering into oncoming traffic, to end up in the ditch. It is a truth that keeps us out of the ditch and keeps us from colliding with others. Now, as Christians, we know when he says the truth, we know what he's talking about, don't we? We're not like, what's the truth? What truth? As the world asks that question often, don't they? What is truth? And there's all kinds of truths out there. But we know as Christians specifically what James is talking about. We're not caught off guard by this at all. It's not unclear. We know what the truth is. He's speaking about the Bible, the very Word of God. 
when Jesus was praying to his Father in that beautiful prayer in John 17, he prays this request. He says, Father, sanctify them, and we're the them, sanctify them by the truth. And he tells us what it is clearly. Thy word is truth. James is telling the church, us, that we will wander from the word of God. And he's right, we do sometimes wander from the truth. We have in the past, and we will in the future, be ten, have a tendency to wander from the truth. Now James makes another assumption here, then, that if someone wanders from the truth, that someone would bring them back to the truth. Now this sounds simple, doesn't it? That somebody wanders from the truth and someone else would bring them back. Sounds like something you would want to do, isn't it? Does that sound like something you would naturally do? It's easy. Sounds simple enough. Amongst Christians who believe the same truth, this shouldn't be hard. It ought to be simple, but have you ever tried it? It's not so easy, is it? Not near as easy as it sounds. You would think if we all have the same truth and one of us wanders from the truth, we could use the truth to bring them back to the truth. That ought to be easy. But in real life, when we try it, it's not easy at all. It's very difficult. People resist. They get offended. They think we're judging them. They quickly respond, have some kind of response to us. When Paul teaches young Timothy how to lead a church, he says this passage that we know well from 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. So if it's useful, we should use it, right? It's useful for teaching, and we all agree with that. That's easy. It's one thing to teach Scripture. That goes pretty well for those, especially amongst Christians in the church, right? People want to teach. You want to go to Sunday school and Bible studies, and, and if somebody's going to lead that, they respect them, and that's great. They gladly hear teaching. Oh, but there's also rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. And notice he says all Scripture is useful. It's all, every, every bit of it, every word. The Bible, the Word of God, all of it. All Scripture is useful for teaching. All Scripture is useful for rebuking. All Scripture is useful for correcting and training. The Bible is so useful, we should use it. This should be used in times when correction is needed, when someone is wandering, to bring them back, to get them back on track, to get them back on the path. If you are the person who is wandering, and someone lovingly, and I emphasize lovingly, it's how we do it matters too, Someone does the work of James 5.19 to bring you back to the truth. By using the truth, you might get defensive. 
Logic tells us that's a bad idea. But your emotions will say, fight back, defend yourself. There's something in us that does that, that makes you stand your ground. Don't let somebody move you, even if you've gone off the path. Here you are in the ditch, and somebody tells you you're in the ditch. No, I'm not. I'm fine. I'm sure you've seen that happen when you're trying to bring someone else back. But I would dare say that when it's the other way around and someone is bringing you back to the truth, bringing some correction to you, you don't see it. We see it when somebody else is defensive, right? Very obvious. But when it's you, when you're on the receiving end and you get defensive, you don't see it like you do when someone else is. We can be blinded by that. You still might remember that person who tried to correct you, and you might still defend yourself and say, but I was right, or I had a reason, or there was an excuse. You might still be blinded by your own defensiveness, maybe even now. You might still be upset at that person. You may have left that church and never went back. Glad you're at North Street. But if you get mad at North Street because they try to create, you're always welcome to rust. <laughs> but we're going to try to correct you too. Unfortunately, there are churches you could go to where they will gladly receive you, accept your position, accept your truth, acknowledge along with you, and they will agree with you that you got your truth, we got ours, but let's just all get along. There are churches where you can find yourselves very comfortable and remain in the ditch or wander into oncoming traffic. Have you figured out the sermon title yet? If you take a look at it, it's not a salvationism. It's not a salvation issue. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's not a salvation issue. I was talking to my daughter-in-law, who's extremely pregnant, due any moment. My wife may be gone when I get back. I'll know where she is. So she's on the um, search team at their church because they're without a pastor. They're vacant right now. And so she's been listening to sermons online. I told her about this, this sermon. She asked me, so what are you doing on yours this year? And I told her, and it's not a salvation issue. And, and the next day, she's listening to sermons, and she's listening to this pastor preach online. You know, they can, she's just watching those YouTube things. And, and as she's listening, she, she said, I started to notice something was going awry with this sermon. Something didn't sound doctrinally right. He was getting off just like something. There was a flag going up. And when he ended the sermon, he says, you know, this may not match what you thought the Bible says, but it's not a salvation issue anyways. He used the same phrase the next day after I told her about that. And she called me, let me know. There was a, uh, there, there's an article in the Abide Project I just saw this past week. And it's that phrase. So since I started preaching on this, it's really gone viral. People are catching on. <laughs>
I had missed the meeting when the other pastors decided what we were going to preach on, when they decided we're going to preach on our favorite heresy. I said, what? I didn't have one. But I have been bothered by that phrase. You know, it's not a, if we call it a heresy, um, it's not one of them heresies that you would talk about on a false religion or false doctrines of our great heritage uh, that, that have been fought uh, during the times of the going way back to the early church, some of those heresies. This is, this is like now, but it's not, the, the, the thing with this one is it, it's not in false churches. This is one in the church amongst Christians. Remember, that's who James is addressing here, the church, Christians. Now, whenever someone wants to take a popular worldview that's not in agreement with the Bible, they would just simply say, well, it's not a salvation issue. And I've had other pastors say that to me when I get a little upset about something that's not quite doctrinally sound. And they'll say, but Pastor Mark, it's just it's not a salvation issue. Just, just relax, will you? It, it doesn't, in other words, it doesn't matter. So in hearing that many times over these past years, it's just starting to bother me. And I called it out, it was in a Bible study, and, and I said that, I said, if I had a dollar for every time someone used this heretical phrase, I'd be rich. Now that's probably a slight exaggeration. Boy, it's twice, that I had to say it this morning, I exaggerated, I just did it again, twice in one, I probably should address that sin. Uh, but I would at least have some extra money to spend at the hardware store, my favorite place to go. And that gave me an idea. Now the problem with my idea, though, is that um, most men don't carry much money in their wallets, right? Do, do any of you carry dollars in your wallet? Who has a dollar bill in their wallet? Does anybody here? Nobody, nobody carries dollars. Here's one over here, you, but I, you need to prove it. I need to, let me see your wallet. Oh, okay. That'll do, I believe. Yep. Oh, he's got more. Got another one? Just one. All right, I'm, I'm taking this. You see? Now, if word got back to Rusk and my elders that every time I've been going to another church, I've been stealing a dollar from their congregation. Would you probably do something about that? I suspect, I know the elders pretty well here at the church. I'm pretty sure they'd be contacting my elders. Say, hey, your pastor stole a dollar from one of our people in the congregation. I, I would hope you would. And you know what I'd tell them? Not a salvation issue. <laughs> Don't matter. If a pastor goes and steals and exaggerates, tells some lies now and then, you know, it's not a salvation issue, so it doesn't matter. That could be my response, and, and they'd be dumbfounded. Like, how do you answer that? Have you ever had someone say it to you, and, you're, you're, and you don't know how to, they think they got you stumped? It's not a salvation issue. And we're like, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Both individuals and churches have used this heresy and they've gotten away with it. Think in our own denomination, in the Christian Reformed Church, how many times 
that phrase or something similar has come up. And we've got a history of times when that has happened. And that has had an effect on where we are today, hasn't it? In Exodus 20, verse 11, it says, In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. But that made us very uncomfortable, and it made it hard for our kids in school. Didn't agree with science at the time. And so people said, well, it's not a salvation issue. I remember having that discussion with a pastor who was in our classes at one time. He said, Mark, it's not a salvation issue. And that bothered me. In Genesis 2, 24, it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. One man, one woman, married. God's plan from the very beginning of creation. That makes some people feel uncomfortable. Makes us feel like we're hateful and unloving. And some would say, but it's not a salvation issue. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28 and 29, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks judgment without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Serious. Dangerous. But some people really felt bad, some pastors especially, felt really bad that their granddaughters couldn't participate in communion. And said, God won't judge her if she don't understand this verse. It's not a salvation issue. Hmm. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexual immoral. Yeah, but pastor, we've been living together for years. How can one of us move out? None of us can afford to rent for another place. Do you ever try to find a place to rent in this community? especially up in Allendale. Everybody's got to come down here to Zealand to find some place to live. There's nothing up by us. Can you really expect one of us to move out? It's not a salvation issue, is it? How did we get there? Where does that view of Scripture come from? That Things can be very clear in Scripture, and yet we can say, yeah, but it's not a salvation issue, so I don't have to agree with it. Where'd that come from? How'd we get here? Probably, which is secret code for I really don't know for sure, but it probably comes from our strong and correct, reformed teaching that salvation is from faith alone. Faith in Jesus Christ alone, right? That's, we, we stand upon that as reformers. It's, it's true. True faith. That's why we read, what is true faith? Another Lord's Day we could have read would be Lord's Day 23. Probably the most important question anyone can ever ask. How can you be right with God? How do you do that? How do you accomplish that? Well, what's the answer? It begins by saying, only by 
True faith. Well, then what's true faith? What's the definition? And that we did read, didn't we, in Lord's Day 7? The definition of what true faith is. And it begins, true faith is not only, but it is. It says it's not the only thing. But what's the first thing it says it is? Knowledge, conviction, that everything God reveals in His Word is true. Sounds kind of like Paul talking to Timothy. All of it. All of it. Everything in God's Word. That true faith gives us that conviction. I like that word convinced, to be conviction, to be convinced. Do you have conviction that the Word of God is true? All of it? When we start taking pieces out of it, say, well, that's not a salvation issue, and that's not a salvation issue, so it doesn't matter. We start to dismantle the Word of God. What happens to our conviction? How do we pass on to that conviction to our young children, to the next generation. True faith, knowledge, and conviction that everything God reveals in His Word is true. We confess that. We confess that everything in God's Word is true. Not just some things, but all things. Everything. Because of what 2 Timothy 3.16 says. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's all useful. Not just some Scripture. All Scripture. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, verse 8, that we are saved by faith. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, not from yourself as a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. That would mean that salvation does not have anything to do with my works or actions. But James would point out to us, and he does, that there's a connection between faith and our actions. Faith and works that have something to do with salvation. In James 2, verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers? Again, he's talking to the church. If a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? That's the question. Can faith that believes but doesn't think our actions matter, is that true faith? Does that line up with Lord's Day 7? Is that a faith that's convicted that everything in God's Word is true and should be acted on? If we really think that we can do whatever we want and it doesn't matter for our salvation, James says, what kind of faith is that? Can it save you? And right after that question in verse 17, James 2, 17, he says in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead faith. It's dead, which means it cannot bring you to life. Dead faith, non-saving faith, separates obedience to Scripture from salvation. He says that kind of faith cannot save you. At the beginning of James chapter 1, verse 21, he says, Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the Word planted in you 
which can save you. And the word he's talking about is the word of God. When the word of God is planted in you, salvation comes out of that word. To accept the word of God planted in us is not just to say, yep, I agree. It's to obey it, not excuse it by saying things like, it's not a salvation issue. I'll just excuse that part. I don't have to obey. If you think I'm wandering from the truth, well, it don't matter. Paul puts it this way to Timothy, the young pastor. He says, watch your life and doctrine. Now, is he going to connect that to salvation? Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save, save yourselves. He's talking about salvation, isn't he? And your hearers. Watch how you live. That's your actions. Watch how you think and live, your doctrine. It does have something to do with salvation and the salvation of others around you. Changing the Word of God to appeal to one sinning against it is not the answer. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. We have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. Excuse it. Change it. Change the degree of its applying to you and say, well, that doesn't apply to me. That applies to me. This one don't. This one doesn't have to. This one don't matter. That's to change the Word of God. And it's kind of deceptive, isn't it? Who's the deceiver? Never the Holy Spirit. Always the devil. This message is to a church... Here again in, in Corinthians, Paul speaking to the church, we, we must reject any time the Word of God is changed to meet the demands of culture or to excuse it as a non-salvation issue. In the same letter, Paul connects salvation to something else. Repentance. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Excusing something when someone is disobeying Scripture and we excuse it and say, it's all right, it's not a salvation issue. Does repentance come out of that? No, that's not going to lead to repentance. Is repentance necessary for salvation? Absolutely. Repentance leads to salvation. And if we don't lead anyone to repent or to be corrected, Salvation is at stake. Brings worldly sorrow. Brings death. That brings us back to our text tonight. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will, will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Turn a person from error in his actions caused by wandering from the truth and he'll be led to salvation through repentance. Distorting God's word does not lead to repentance. Romans 6, verse 14 and 15. 
Sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. To continue in sin and label it as grace and say it's not a salvation issue. I'm saved by grace alone. Paul says, no, by no means. He makes a very strong no. Salvation by grace alone does not remove the need for repentance. It doesn't remove our need for correction when we wander from the truth. One last passage I want to read is from 1 John 3, verse 6 through 9. No one who lives in Him, Him here is Christ, No one who lives in Jesus Christ keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or knows him. Dear children, do not let anyone be led astray or lead you astray. Don't let anyone cause you to wander. How would we wander? Wander from the truth. He who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. It doesn't say we won't sin. The issue is do we continue in that sin? Do brothers and sisters in the body of believers let us continue to sin? Does a church allow us to continue in sin by saying it's not a salvation issue? Keep on. Whatever it is. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. We've been born again, born of the Holy Spirit. We are saved by faith in Christ alone. Repentance and obedience to all of God's Word defines that kind of faith, which is saving faith. The Word of God. All of it. It is a salvation issue. Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. You have given us your word. You have preserved your word for many thousands of years. You have preserved your word and given it to your church, your people. We have it. We possess it. You give us understanding by your spirit of who you are, what you are like, how we are saved, what we are like, and our need for salvation. Our need to live in this dangerous fallen world, to live as people set apart as holy. We have your word to help us when it seems confusing of whether to live like the world or to live differently for you. And where those differences are, you've made plain. We find it difficult, Lord, 
we find it hard to constantly be living in a world that does not know you and does not know your word, a world that does not fear you, a world that has no respect for your word. And now we live according to your word, and we find it difficult at times. We find it easy to wander. And we find even sometimes Christians, brothers and sisters, who might allow us to wander or don't have the ability or the um, strength to help us fight or out of fear, do not want to correct us. Lord, would you correct us somehow by someone it may, be a, may it be by your word. As Jesus prayed to you, sanctify us, Lord, by your truth. Your word is truth. Give us a confidence in your word. May that confidence, may that conviction be passed along to the next generation's Lord, correct our wandering. Keep us on the path. Keep us following your Son, Jesus Christ, by your word and by the power of your Spirit who dwells within us. We pray this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.